Brother Tyler Aki in for Black and Abdallah this evening. Guys, we're in for Grady today, so we're filling in for them here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. 312-332-3776 if you want to jump on in. Earlier, we were discussing what combination the NFL might be hoping for for their Super Bowl showdown. Who do they hope will advance based on, obviously, the myth-making that surrounds their quarterbacks and who will carry the league going forward because we've got some guys who have for the most part done the heavy lifting over the last few years who are getting very close to the precipice of the edge their nfl careers could be ending very soon we talked about tom brady a little bit in the first hour of course there's another man who resides just north of here the division rival packers aaron Rodgers, who will be 39 next season when if He takes the field for whichever team he ends up taking the field for. Well, Adam Schefter enlightened us earlier today, said that the Packers could be open to trading Aaron Rodgers, but he eliminated a lot of teams from the possibility of Aaron Rodgers playing for them. The big one could involve Aaron Rodgers. And look, it's hard to imagine that he's going to retire and walk away and surrender $110 million in guaranteed money. So that means he's either back with Green Bay or the team explores the idea of trading him. Now, Jordan Love is getting closer and closer to playing, and Aaron Rodgers is due $110 million the next two years for a team that is not well positioned against the cap. The easiest way to resolve some of that would be with the quarterback. You'd free up about $60 million in guaranteed money. You get back draft pick compensation you have the ability to land other players again not ideal but keep this in mind too we saw brett Favre traded when he was 38 turned 39 that season aaron Rodgers is 39 it doesn't go on for everybody and yes one of these scenarios that the green bay packers are expected to explore this offseason is the idea that they could have to part ways with aaron Rodgers in the form of a trade doesn't mean it will happen but if he wants that and they're on the same page and that's certainly realistic, and there's the possibility that, that could unfold this offseason. Which feels so crazy, considering they just signed him last year to a three-year deal, right? <laughs> okay, you know, he's going to be coached. Yeah, Her- Herm said the conference thing, and I think that's important, because I don't think there's any way the Packers will trade him in the NFC, mm. and if they do go ahead and trade him, it would be to the AFC. So start having all the fun you want with all the teams in the <laughs> AFC that need quarterbacks. Probably not a surprise there, but to hear Adam Schefter say it, that the Packers would not consider trading him to an NFC team, well, all of a sudden that makes the destiny, the future destination for Aaron Rodgers uh, a lot more specific, right? And when you look around the AFC, it's interesting because in that conference, a lot of teams have their quarterback position answered, right. or at least they're in position where they've got a guy, a young guy, who they're working with. So... Aaron Rodgers, if not playing for the Packers, likely to be playing for an AFC next year. I just look at the, yeah, I think that when when he kind of cuts out a conference, and also if you're Aaron Rodgers, remember, he's got to want to be traded too. If you're Aaron Rodgers, why would you want to go to the AFC? You've got all you've got everything at your disposal in the NFC where it's kind of up for grabs. I mean, sure, the Eagles are going to be back next year, the Niners will be will be back next year, but probably not because of quarterback play per se, more so because of what their head coach is able to scheme up. I I look at what Rodgers and the power that he sort of holds in this here. Why would he want to go to the AFC? Why would you want to go and try to 
go up against Mahomes or Burrow or well, Lawrence or Herbert. The truth is, I listen, in a perfect world, you wouldn't. But if he if it's not equitable to be back in Green Bay, it doesn't sound like he's got an option in the NFC, right? There's no alternative to be because he doesn't have a no trade clause, mm-hmm. so he can't force his way to to some specific NFC team. So he'd be after, he'd, obviously. But this has always felt like a Rodgers is pushing his way out as opposed to Green Bay and the Packers trying to move him out. So and maybe it doesn't feel that way with the fan base because I know the Packers fans. It feels like they're sort of done with him, mm-hmm. but the organization has never seemed like the one that's wanted to trade him it's felt more like he's been the one that's wanted he's out. been flirting with the idea of moving on certainly and he's done so publicly on the pat mcafee show which he was on earlier today he addressed the idea of uh having 60 million dollars being owed to him next season and the idea of could he actually like walk away from that yeah it's a lot of money i don't think there'd be a scenario where i'd come back and that would be the number i think it, it would definitely Definitely, things would have to shift. Yeah. Why do you sure. think that? Well, I just don't think it's. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of teams because of COVID that are strapped, and you're seeing us a lot of different contracts. They're pushing more money out uh, in in, uh, in deals. They're creating you know certain kind of void years uh, to allow for the um, an easier cap hit. So there, you know, there would have to be some adjustments for sure. So if he goes back to Green Bay, in all likelihood, there will be. You know, some way where they'll accelerate some of the bonus money and then, as he said, add some void years, whatever, to figure it out. The clock is ticking on the Packers because Jordan Love is entering his fourth season now, right? Mm-hmm. So they need to figure out. They drafted him in the first round. They're at a point where Aaron Rodgers is likely not going to be their quarterback for you wouldn't envision more than two years max. So that puts them in a situation where they need to make a decision on Jordan Love, right? Right. And so with what they've invested in him, this is why I think the idea of trading him now becomes much more realistic this offseason, especially when you consider, as we've talked about on the station, there are ways for the Packers to manipulate that cap hit. I, If I'm the Packers, too, given what you're seeing with the quarterback market now, if you see... Trey Lance, and it feels like his name's on the move. If I'm the Packers, I'm trying to ship Jordan Love out now because I think he may have more value than Trey Lance. Yeah, I, 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 I know they're not. I know Jordan Love was drafted further down in the first round than Trey Lance was, but if you look at what they've done in the NFL, like Jordan Love came in for the what was it, the Chiefs game for a little bit, and he looked pretty good for a couple drives there. Yeah, yep. but he also doesn't have the injury history associated with him as well. And I think that's much more appealing. Take a young guy and, and take the guy who doesn't have that sort of injury in his past. I think that might be eye of the beholder, right? So, like, I could see where if the Dolphins were in the market again because they need somebody long term because they can't count on Tua, you know, that's completely up in the air right now with his concussion history. I could see Mike McDaniel knowing Trey Lance and being like, mm-hmm. you know what, that works for us, right? Whereas also, don't forget, Jordan Love is also one year farther along in his contract. And so because of that, you know, the rookie deal is, you know, it's going to um, be up on Jordan Love fairly quickly here Mm -hmm. where you have to make a decision. How much money are you going to pay him? He's going to be in a, in a unique situation because he's, if he, if he's not playing for the Packers next year, nobody in the NFL knows exactly what he is. So who's going to be able, how much money is he going to command when he becomes a free agent? Right. It's going to be a weird situation if he doesn't get out in the field and start playing sometime soon. I'm looking at it 
if you look at where could Aaron Rodgers play next year, mm-hmm. you know, assuming based on Schefter's report there, which was on Sports Center earlier today, the New England could the Patriots be a landing spot right. for him? The Jets, I think you've heard them floated quite a bit because obviously they have an issue at quarterback. What about Baltimore? Mm. Could Baltimore? I've got a different quarterback swap. Okay, I was thinking here. I'll throw uh, maybe. A, what about Tennessee? Okay, could the Titans be a destination for Aaron Rodgers? We've heard, you know, reports that he's building a house in right. in mm-hmm. Nashville. But who isn't building a house? Yeah, in apparently, Nashville that's now. what you do. Um, if you if you're playing quarterback in the NFL, or if you have any point, you go you go build a house in Nashville, um, and of course Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, it seems like Tom Brady would be a better match for them based on Josh McDaniels, but it gives them at least you know, could he run it back with Devontae Adams in Vegas? Well, how about what about the Cowboys? Could they look? They're at- in the NFC, Tyler. I know, but at the, at a certain point, like if he's pressing his way out, like what about the Cowboys? You could be getting Dak back in the trade. And, and the because the salaries would have to match up a little bit better there. But what if what if the the Patriots or the the Packers sort of view that as their Stafford for golf? Oh my God! I'm just thinking about the uh, day after that trade. First take, get up. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Talk about mind blown. Whew. I can't even that, imagine yeah. where you go with that. That's the, the that's, Rogers you know Packers. I feel the like Rogers Cowboys crossover collab. ESPN would go full on twenty four hour marathon. I think you have to do it right. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith. When we we just straight Stephen A. Smith twenty four straight hours. <laughs> yeah. Stephen A. Smith reacts to and Aaron Rodgers on on FS one for twenty four straight Jack hours. Prescott. Uh, you mean Mister one point four points per game? Yeah, um, yeah that'd be uh, an interesting boy. You just blew my mind. I can't. I can't even envision that scenario. But that's interesting. I would love to see it. I'd love to see the reaction to it. That's for sure. Interesting. He's Tyler Aki. I'm Jeff Miller. As we're sitting for Black and Abdallah today here on ESPN 1000, the guys are in for Greeny. If you uh, want them, check out the podcast. The ESPN Chicago app has it waiting for you right here. If you're just joining us and uh, you missed some of the news of the day, of course, this is something we're going to talk about a little bit later. But I do want to mention that um, big news in, in uh Regarding the Chicago White Sox and their big free agent offseason signing, I guess they're not their biggest because, of course, they added Andrew Benintendi. But Mike Clevenger, who the White Sox signed early in free agency right now, is being investigated following allegations for domestic violence. So that is something that the White Sox were unaware of. A report from The Athletic today made us aware that Clevenger is under investigation by Major League Baseball following allegations of domestic violence involving the mother of his 10-month-old daughter um, for the domestic violence and child abuse. Olivia Feinstead, the 24-year-old mother of Clevenger's child, told The Athletic on Tuesday that she had been in contact with individuals from Major League Baseball's Department of Investigations since this summer when he was a member of the Padres. According to Feinstead, she has detailed to those investigators incidents of physical, verbal, and emotional abuse, including an incident from last June in which Feinstead said that Clevenger choked her and another about two weeks later when she said that Clevenger slapped her in a hotel room when the team was playing the Dodgers and threw used chewing tobacco on their 10-month-old child. So, of course, horrifying allegations. Clevenger currently being investigating the White Sox, according to Major League Baseball, and them were unaware of the allegations at the time. So they are currently waiting for the investigation to play out. We'll discuss that and some more White Sox news as well right here on ESPN 1000.
This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. I'd like you to meet someone who's really special. It's Black and Abdallah. A real inspiration. Follow us on the gram at Black and Abdallah and at ESPN underscore Chicago. Jeff Meller, Tyler Aki in for Chris Black and Adam Abdallah this evening here on ESPN 1000. As we went to break, we were discussing the fact that White Sox pitcher, newly signed White Sox pitcher Mike Clevenger is under investigation by Major League Baseball after some domestic violence allegations from the 24-year-old mother of his 10-month-old child. Of course, very disturbing a source familiar with uh, Major League Baseball's investigations process confirmed there is the open investigation against Cle- Clevenger. Um, that same source told The Athletic that the White Sox became aware of the allegations after he was signed in free agency this past couple months ago. So uh, Clevenger, when he was reached via text message, said that his agent and lawyer would contact The Athletic. And then when he was asked for an on-the-record statement before the publication, Clevenger's agent, Seth Levinson, wrote in a text message, quote, we need to fairly and thoroughly protect our client and at the same time be respectful of the White Sox and Major League Baseball. We need time before responding. So no real response from Clevenger and his attorney. Of course, very disturbing allegations. I know lots of White Sox fans and baseball fans have been asking for the outright release of Mike Clevenger. And the only thing I'll say is the presumption of innocence, I think, in this conversation makes it a difficult one to have any quick knee-jerk reaction, right? Right. I think it's only it's important for the White Sox to wait for the investigation to conclude before they jump to any conclusions. Right. It always comes down to do your homework. Right. In these situations, do your homework, make sure you've got all the facts straight and then make your decisions based off of that. And the truth is that the CBA between the Major League Baseball Players Association and Major League Baseball affords Clevenger confidentiality in this because no conclusions have been reached in the investigation. That is part of the reason why the White Sox were not informed that this was a current investigation going on. Major League Baseball is not allowed to comment to teams about current investigations that are under are being undergone. And so because of that, the White Sox signed Clevenger not knowing the details of the mm-hmm. situation. And so, of course, it is a difficult spot for them because they were hoping that they could count on Clevenger. And, of course, not only did they need him to get back to being a better pitcher, but now... They're not even certain that he will be available without being suspended right now. So right. it's a tough spot for the White Sox right now. And even if they, they don't end up releasing him or whatever the end, ending resolution is, if he does get suspended, like you're going to be without some of the, the pitchers that you were anticipating having going into this year, whether it's Clevenger, whether it's uh, Liam Hendricks too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, the whole the whole situation right now is, A, you're... you're you're praying for for the victim because like there is video, or picture evidence out there of some things that did happen supposed allegedly mm-hmm. um so you just you, you keep all those people in mind and unfortunately it's it's a scary situation for some people out there that they, this is some of the the day to day that they have to live with um and hopefully everything gets resolved 
And I don't know if you can fault, truly fault the White Sox. You can ask the question, did they do enough mm-hmm. research regarding Mike Clevenger? I'm not, you know, we're not privy to what they, what right. type of actual, you know, recognizance they did regarding him. It's, you know, we won't ever know because I don't think the White Sox will ever give you a straight answer. But clearly um, they were not, you know, I, I, I will say this. I don't think the White Sox would ever knowingly sign Mike Clevenger if they knew that this situation was ongoing, right? I'm with so, you. Yeah. Um, I think they would do their best to steer clear of it. They wouldn't want to be involved in the situation if the allegations are true and if they were aware of them. And so because of that, I'm going to give the White Sox organization the benefit of the doubt, and we'll have to just wait right now. Again, I know that's not what some White Sox fans want to hear, and maybe in the court of public opinion, You've already made your decision about Mike Clevenger, and that's fair. You can do what, how, do that however you'd like. But as an organization, I think you know it's important that the White Sox again give the presumption of innocence and then wait for the Major League Baseball investigation. Which, by the way, I think um, the burden of proof for the Major League Baseball's investigation process for the, the, the threshold of guilt to be reached is lower than a court of law. So, you know, there is if if Clevenger, if the if Major League Baseball feels that he has, you know, gone about and actually been found guilty of these allegations, then don't worry. I do think the White Sox will probably part ways with him in due yeah. time. As I, I quick, mean, as quick as they possibly could. I think the, one of the case studies to sort of look at, too, is everything that happened with Trevor Bauer mm-hmm. as well. And I think. Don't think a team just wants that optics of someone being associated with their franchise anymore. And in the wake of Trevor Bauer, I think a lot of people were complimentary of how the Dodgers handled the whole situation. Um, so I, I think that you would see if everything comes out that the allegations are true. I think you would see the White Sox act in a similar manner. A, another White Sox manner, something that I think we can get... Uh, a lot happier about is Eloy Jimenez, who met the media via Zoom yesterday, and he shared this with the folks who were participating in the Zoom. I'm going to give you a surprise, so you, I'm not going to answer right now. You're going to see me in spin training. Okay, that sounds mysterious. Uh, so you, you're going to come in a little bit... Uh... Perhaps lighter. I mean, sometimes guys come in heavier. Sometimes they come in lighter. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be a surprise. I can't wait. Yeah, me neither. It's good. Uh, it's filled. So there you go. So Eloy Jimenez dropping uh, hints that he is in good shape. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm reading a little bit into that, but I think that's a fair representation of what we heard right there. Would you agree? You think? Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. I think it's because it, with Eloy. I think the other part with him being in better shape too is probably him trying to gear up to be an outfielder. Oh yeah, more uh, long term because a there's a hole in the outfield right now still for the White Sox, and b he doesn't want to be pigeoned into a corner as a designated hitter for his entire career. Yeah, the uh, the White Sox biggest offseason acquisition Andrew Benintendi is clearly a gold glove left fielder, and he fits into that spot nicely. He doesn't have the arm strength to play anywhere else, really. So you'd hate to move him off of left field. I, in fact, I would say part of the reason why you signed Andrew Benintendi is his his uh, ability to you know play a Gold Glove caliber left field. And so Eloy Jimenez knows that 
that's probably not going to be his spot. So he needs to be looking elsewhere in the outfield. I'm really preparing myself right now to play in the outfield. Last year, it was I was in a situation that I need to DH more than play outfield. But this year, I'm really preparing myself to play more games in the outfield than DH. And in particular, he did go on to reference right field. Mm-hmm. You know, playing right field more often this season. I will say, I'm glad that Eloy sounds like he's in good shape and looking to be um, physically in better position mm-hmm. to succeed this year. Although I'm not sure him playing right field often is a right. good spot for the White Sox. Well, okay. Think about it from what we sort of saw with Andrew Vaughn last year. When he was trying to learn a new position, mm-hmm. it, it felt like his bat took a little bit of, it suffered a little bit as a result of trying to, to play in an unnatural position. And now you're putting Aloy Jimenez in a much more important outfield position where when have we ever looked at Aloy? Like sometimes you can see a bad fielder out there in left field, but you're like, oh, they've got a pretty good arm. And they're just not good at tracking balls, playing off the wall. They can't, they don't have the closing speed, whatever. You've never seen that with Aloy where you're like, wow, like that arm, that's that. Maybe you could make it work in right field. I've never seen that with Aloy to make me think that this is going to work in right field. Yeah, there was a time maybe when he was 19 playing for the Cubs in the minor leagues where there was a possibility where you could dream on him being a right fielder. But I think that quickly became apparent that that wasn't his best spot when he just physically got, you know, he grew and got that much bigger. And all of a sudden he didn't move the way he did as a teenager. And, you know, the concern is, too, that he has had some disastrous plays in left field. I mean, I remember in particular getting caught in the net, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that play, you know, of course, let's not forget him, uh, you know, hurting his shoulder in spring training, right. right? Like, I think the problem for me with Aloy Jimenez playing more outfield and a more difficult outfield position at that is that frequently in his career, he hasn't been someone who the White Sox can tell, hey, just go out there, you know, be serviceable, be adequate, but don't mm-hmm. do anything crazy in the process, right? He Like, it's commendable that he wants to go out there and be a difference maker as a defensive player, but the problem is we've seen him injure himself too many times trying to do that defensively. Yeah. I think one of the other things, too, with the uh, shift also being banned for this upcoming season as mm-hmm. well, I think that's something that we're not going to be thinking about as much, but right field, yes. you're going to be playing a lot more because a lot of those shifts are heavily favored for left-handed hitters, yep. and you're getting the benefit of that short right fielder. Yep. And Aloy's not going to have that as insurance anymore. Um, you could also look at it, too, as, okay, there's a, a fly ball in shallow right field, less opportunity for him to get injured in all likelihood. Um, because that extra fielder won't be there to have some sort of breach of communication with. But I think you're going to see him get tested a lot more, trying to get some balls that are maybe he has to come in and make a play on, maybe some short line drives that normally would have been caught in the shift. But nowadays, you're not going to see that as much. Yeah, and it's the reason is you look at what the White Sox right now are potentially the alternatives, right? And Andrew Vaughn is moving to first base now that Jose Abreu is gone. And so outside of Eloy Jimenez, I mean, Oscar Colas has been somebody who's been talked about, you know, the, the, you know, the Cuban prospect who, you know, tore up the minor leagues last season. But, you know, just how 
he's not going to be a great defensive right fielder either. Right. And so it's the, 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 the White Sox are in a tricky situation right now with Aloy Jimenez because I know at his age, they don't necessarily want to just park him in D, at the DH position. But the reality is his value to the White Sox is being their best primary run producer, right? Mm-hmm. Like his power, what he brings to the table with the lineup as a hitter, that's why the White Sox, why White Sox fans and why White, the White Sox organization are so happy about him, right? It's him as a hitter. Right. It, he's a guy with 40 home run potential. Mm-hmm. And why would you compromise him and put him in a situation where he can take away from his 40 home run potential? Because we, how many times do we see it? And I, I get part of it is also him coming up a little bit lame when he's running down the first base line and something happens with the hamstring. Yep. I get that, right? But we've also seen a number of instances where there's tweaks in the outfield or even catastrophic injuries in the outfield as well. I want to take that risk completely out of the equation. Yeah, I think that's the sound way to go about it. We'll see if the White Sox actually choose to play it that way. Um, maybe we'll learn a little bit in spring training, but honestly, a lot of these questions won't be answered until they start playing real regular season games, and we see how often the White Sox want to use Aloy Jimenez in the outfield you know, on a, on a week-to-week basis. It'll be interesting to see, but he certainly sounds like somebody who's hoping to play quite a bit of outfield. 312-332-3776 if you'd like to chime in. He's Tyler Aki. I'm Jeff Meller. We're sitting in for Black and Abdallah. We have a brand new member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll tell you who it is coming up next. You're listening to Black and Abdallah on ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Follow the show on Twitter at Chris Black and at Adam A. Abdallah. The 2-1. Swap on. There she goes. Number 62. Move over, Big Mac. You got company. Sosa is not the newest member of baseball's Hall of Fame. That honor goes to Scott Rowland. Because, of course, Sammy Sosa no longer on the ballots. When I say the word Scott Rowland and you think back of watching Tyler as a young lad, Tyler Aki, Jeff Meller in for Black and Abdallah today. When you think back to watching Scott Rowland, did Hall of Famer strike you? As you were watching him? No. In fact, you know, everyone sort of remembers their first Hall of Fame debate. Mm-hmm. Scott Rowland is mine. It was like the first. Are we about to have it? Or no? Well, no, You've no, no. I was, okay. I was, yeah, I was against Scott yes. Rowland. But it was one of the first ones where someone brought their name up. It was like, oh, that's like a future Hall of Famer. I was like, what? <laughs> Scott Rowland? No, he's not a Hall of Famer. Like, he had a very, very good career. But this is a guy who had uh, seven all-star appearances, but two of those all-star appearances, he barely played in the season. 2005, he had a 56-game uh, season, and he was an all-star. 2011, he had a 65-game season, and he was an all-star. And even his numbers in those seasons up to that point were not all that impressive either. Yeah. And I get, like, the longevity of his career. I, I hate the, the longevity stuff. I'm so with you. And, and Frank Gore of Major League Baseball. Yeah, Scott Rowland over here. I won't go that far. With, with <laughs> He's not that bad. Scott Rowland was definitely more, is more Hall of Fame deserving than, than Frank, Frank Gore. Gore is. But it, especially when people are so infatuated with war now. Mm-hmm. To, well, 
He has a strong war, though. I will say he his- does. But it's accounting stat. Yes, you're right. You're but right. But I will, I will say this: it's not like rushing yards or touchdowns or points or assists because you can't have a negative war. That's right. So it can be subtracted from you. Whereas you're never really going to lose passing yards year to year you're never going to lose rushing yards you're you're never going to lose touchdowns what have you um but i, I he's not a hall of famer to me yeah I, he, I never was under that impression he had two really really outstanding seasons about ah, three i guess he had three really outstanding seasons w- with war where he had a war of uh, 9.2 that came in 2004 that year obviously 9.2 is an absurd number he yeah, finished yeah. fourth in the mvp that's mm-hmm. that's historically that's a great season he had a 6.7 war when he was 23 for the phillies back in 1998 and then he had one other season when he had a 5.9 war uh in 2006 for the cardinals three seasons in his career where he or uh, four seasons in his career where he got hall of fame votes or he, where he got mvp votes mm-hmm. and i think that is sort of the you should be in an mvp conversation more much often. more frequently I, I'm, I'm so with in a you. 17 year career and you only got mvp votes in four yeah, no, I, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't jive for me. I, I, I was surprised. And only one of those was top ten. Yeah, I was really. I personally was kind of surprised that he ended up uh, going in. I know, you know. I think too, he got a little bit of. You know, it wasn't just that he was clearly a good hitter, but of course, the Gold Glove factor factors in. I think there's some type of extra allure for the voters, Tyler, when they can say, "Oh, it wasn't just that he was a good hitter." But, oh, by the way, he was a great defensive player. So then it encompasses some sort of all-around game. Right. You know what I mean? And the truth is that I just, I for me, I'm, you know, Hall of Very Good, but I personally didn't feel like he should have been a lock to be in the Hall of Fame. But he has uh, made his way up through the ranks after the years and after starting. That's the most infuriating part of it This is where I get a little. To go from 10% to the the necessary threshold of 75% and getting to 76, it's the largest spike we've seen for someone to actually get into the Hall of Fame. And that, to me, it it tells you everything. 10% of these guys that voted for him, when you, nobody fills out all 10 spots on the ballot ever in MLB Hall of Fame voting. Nobody ever fills out all 10. And for him to to somehow parachute his way up, I, I don't get how that happens. I, it makes no sense to me. It's why I said uh, earlier in the day, I thought I'd be perfectly fine if you made this a one and done. I'm, like, I'm with you. And to your point, like either the guy is a Hall of Famer or he's not. And I think, too, that would also prevent MLB writers from being sanctimonious yes. about this and saying, oh, well, he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. Forget that. Either you're a Hall of Famer or you're not. And then it would put more pressure on voters to, to, to actually have a conversation where they don't have to say, oh, do we, we don't worry. We don't have to put him in this year. Let's let's wait a little bit. No, either he is or he isn't. And then you should move on from that point. So Scott Rowland gets in. Todd Helton was close. He had 72.2% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Billy Wagner had 68% of the vote. Andrew Jones had 58 Gary Sheffield had 55%, who I think Gary Sheffield, when you look at his stats, he's an absolute definite Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Carlos Beltran gets just under 47%. Jeff Kent also received just under 47%. This was his final year on the ballot, so he will not be a Hall of Famer, at least not until the Veterans Committee comes in. Alex Rodriguez gets 
and Manny Ramirez got 33. See, how, and this is another one of those inconsistencies. How can Alex Rodriguez get a different percentage than Manny Ramirez? No, it, it's it's it is it's it's how can it makes how can no someone sense. say Alex Rodriguez is a Hall of Famer but not Manny Ramirez? I think Manny Ramirez is actually one of the cases of the Hall of Fame where the drum doesn't get banged loud enough for him. Everyone's always all about a Rod, all about Roger Clemens, but Manny Ramirez is right up there with both of them, and he's got the World Series to back it up. He's got the big moments to back it up. I, I never understand the Manny Ramirez part of it. The well, only, how he does not get more love for the Hall of Fame. And I, I think he he had uh, multiple right uh, positive tests for PEDs. So I think that's probably why you know he's probably looked at a li- you know in terms of like someone who is probably unlikely to ever get mm-hmm. in. I th- you know I thought well I guess when you don't vote for Barry Bonds. You know, Alex Rodriguez, his path to the yeah. Hall of Fame is mm-hmm. probably blocked as well. And I'll be honest, as somebody who drives you crazy when you're watching him do a broadcast, um, I still, as a player, thought he was well-deserving of uh, being inducted into Cooperstown. But that will not be the case for Alex Rodriguez, just as it was not the case for yeah. Barry Bonds or Roger, or Roger Clemens. To your point, too, about the one-and-done balloting, I think that is the way it has to be. The one thing I would say is when you do the one-and-done balloting, it has to be you can vote for as many players as you want. Yes, agreed. Vote for as many players as you want, but it's a one-and-done ballot. I think that should be the standard practice across the board in all sports when you're doing the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'd be perfectly fine with that. Yeah, again, either you are a Hall of Famer or you're not. Um, Unfortunately, that is not the way that baseball votes on their Hall of Famers. And uh, Scott Rowland there... um, you know, we'll go in today. Now, we got a little sidetrack because I did want to mention part of the reason we mm-hmm. played the Sammy Sosa 60-second home run call because it was because it was by Chip Carey, courtesy of WGN Sports as we were coming in. We played that. Now, Chip Carey announced yesterday that he will be moving from Atlanta to St. Louis to call some mm-hmm. baseball games for the Cardinals, which is an interesting move that he will follow in the footsteps of his legendary grandfather, Harry Carey. So right. once he's called games for the Cubs, and now he will call games for the Cardinals. I I think that, you know, Chip Carey is actually the first Cubs broadcaster I remember listening to Okay, uh, on TV. He's the first one. So it went, what, Chip and then Len and now uh, Taboog? Uh, am I, I don't think I'm forgetting anyone in there maybe i am but mm, i believe you're correct um, that sounds but right. yeah i remember him being the the first one that i sort of remember watching um i know i've got one friend who's a braves fan and he, and he's like ship him out like i'm i'm done with the chip carry experience but i've always kind of liked the the chip carry and i think in a a baseball crazed city like st louis he's perfect there perfect, oh yeah because he is he's kind of got some hawk in him like with the way that he calls a game. I, well, he's got a corniness factor, but that fits in well with baseball. I think sometimes mm-hmm. you like that from your play-by-play but man. Just a strong fan. Like he's one of those guys where other team hits a home run, he he is disgusted, disgusted that, by the fact that a ball's leaving the yard off another bat. I know he gets uh, made fun of quite frequently on these airwaves because of a terrible call in a play-in game between the Twins all these years ago on TBS. Uh, this was 
what was going to be a huge play could have uh, been. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember now. Well, let's let Chip describe it. This will obviously sort things out for us. Twins have won the division four times since 2002. Line drive, base hit. Caught out there. Runner tags. Here he comes. Throw to the plate. On target. And in time. A double play. Ends the 10th. Do you know what happens based yeah. on that call? Is it free? <laughs> you know, I think he might have gotten let off the hook a little bit there if the runner had been safe. But it's because you called it a base hit, so mm-hmm. your automatic assumption is that guy come from third comes in to score. And the fact that not only was it not a base hit, but it was caught and it ends up being a double play, it, the whole thing, I think he may get let off the hook if he doesn't score. Or if he does, if the runner does score there, and we're not making fun of it this much later, but the fact that it ends up being a, a double yeah. play in a pivotal game, yeah, game one sixty three, yeah. right? Line drive, base hit, caught out, out there. there. Uh, oh well, uh, Chip Carrier will be the Cardinals' problem going forward. So have fun mm-hmm. with that, St. Louis. I know uh, you'll love that. Melarnaki in for Black and Abdallah. Up next, a, a former Chicago Cub was instrumental in keeping Aaron Judge in New York. We'll share that story with you next. You're listening to Black and Abdallah on ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Listen to the show in HD at 100.3 HD2 FM. Taking things home here on Black and Abdallah on ESPN 1000. Guys, we're in for green today. Check out the podcast for Black and Abdallah earlier today if you're looking for it. And one thing I do want to mention, too, how about the story in The Athletic regarding Chip Carey from years ago talking about trying to get to know his grandfather, Harry Carey, who he didn't know very well. Chip said to The Athletic, this is a couple years ago now, he said, uh, so... Unfortunately, Harry didn't know his own grandson any better than he knew you. This is not a knock on my grandfather, but he was an orphan. He didn't have much of a family life in St. Louis when he grew up, so he didn't know how to be a dad or a grandfather, Chip told The Athletic. Harry's wife, Dutchie, had a son two years older than Chip. They played high school baseball together. We had just finished up a game, and I was packing up my stuff, and a kid uh, came up to me and says, Hey, your grandfather's here, Chip said. I thought, really? Harry Carey? So I told my coach, and I walked by, and I waved to him. He didn't know who I was. I obviously was heartbroken by that. Chip walked away and choked back tears. His coach called him over and walked with him over to Harry. He said, my coach goes, hi, Mr. Carey. We have a fine young ball player who wanted to say hello, Chip said. So Harry stuck out his hand and said, hey, young man, what's your name? And before he could answer, he said, he's your grandson. That's that's a yeah. heck of a story, heck of a way to, uh, to uh, so for whenever, whenever someone says, hey, you know, Chip, Chip Carey, yeah, the only reason he has the job is because of his name. The truth of it is that's not the case. And so there's more to somebody's life story than, you know, what we just presume to be the case. Right. Um, really interesting. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, things turn out well for Chip going to St. Louis. Yeah. And speaking of his grandchildren, too, mm-hmm. one of his other grandchildren, uh, Josh Carey, is or at least was the voice of the double A Rocket City Trash Pandas down in Alabama. And you want to hear... The worst Harry Carey impersonation of all time 
it's his grandson. <laughs> like everyone always says, oh, the, 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 everyone just does an impersonation of Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey. Yep. No, I think he actually tries to do the Harry Carey and it is awful. <laughs> it is the worst one I've ever, it doesn't even remotely sound like him. That's hilarious. We should reach out to him and have him do an impersonation. <laughs> Not tell him it's uh, because it's awful. Uh, all right. So Aaron Judge was on Jimmy Fallon last night and of course, I think he was the most sought after free agent in baseball here. He decides, right behind Arson Judge. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. He decided to re-up with the Yankees, even though there was flirtations with the Giants. And he told Jimmy Fallon how Anthony Rizzo played a critical role in keeping him in New York. There was one uh, teammate in particular that helped you with your decision. Is that... Uh is that Rizzo? Yeah, it was Anthony Rizzo. He he played a big part, big part. He he was a free agent too. He opted out, um, but he got his contract out of the way, and he said, "Now we gotta we gotta get you locked in." So, really, he w- he was calling me every day. He was sending me texts every day. Every day. Yeah, it was it was he wor- he was working hard. Uh, <laughs> he really did a good job working. But then I think that sealed the deal. Is you're not only are you guys friends, but your your dogs are friends. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it always comes down. It always comes down to your pet, right? Yeah, he, he went for the he went for my heart, so he went for uh, you know my little Penny and his dog Kevin are the best of friends. They're the so best of friends, Penny. Got a picture. There we here's go. a picture. This is yeah. what I had to deal with every day. I was getting photos like this. <laughs> who is who? Uh, I got Penny right here, the little blonde. That's Penny and then Kevin's. And the... Kevin. So I want to thank uh, Anthony Rizzo and I want to thank Kevin for getting Aaron Judge. To... Great job, Kevin. Good boy. There you go, Aaron Judge unveiling to Jimmy Fallon that uh, Anthony Rizzo and Kevin Rizzo, his dog, were critical in keeping him in New York. Nothing like the the dog doing all the heavy lifting there, swaying Anth- or swaying Aaron Judge to stay in New York is is probably the real reason why he stayed. I mean, forget yeah. the fact that the Yankees were really willing to pony up over three hundred and fifty million dollars. It was oh no 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 no. It's also because uh, <laughs> Kevin was there. He was probably yeah. the main reason he stuck around in Way New to York. Go, Kevin. Aaron Judge, the true American League home run champion. Unbelievable. I, I forget who I was talking about. Oh, someone was asking me earlier, like, who is the face of baseball? And the, there was like a little bit of Otani and then Aaron Judge's name came up because someone was very pro-Judge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's Otani. But if Aaron Judge wasn't chasing that fake home run record, um, he he would be an absolute nobody, I feel like, in terms of the face of baseball prospects. Mm, I disagree. I think New York in that market, when you're as big as him to his stature, I think it but carries him chasing more weight. The, the fake record did it for him. Never the, no, he, him was, he was already though, because of his I think because when you're the when you're the Yankees primary guy and you're that good, I don't know. Nobody even knows Shohei Otani plays in for the Angels. Like no one sees his games if you're not a baseball fan. We'll have to pick this up another time, Tyler. Yes. Meller will. and Tyler in for Black and Abdallah. Thanks to Kendra Smith and Charlie Bevins. This is ESPN 1000.